So welcome to the True Alignment Hour, and we're broadcasting to you, podcasting to you live from the uh, Innovation Center at Regis University. My name is Edgar Papke. I'm here with my uh, wonderful co-host, Ken Sagendorf, who's also the director of the MBA program here at Anderson College of Business and Computing at Regis University in Denver, Colorado. And uh, Ken, it's great to it's great to be spending this time with you. Yeah. Good morning, Edgar. Thanks for uh, thanks for always inspiring and saying why not. <laughs> and the story behind that. <laughs> We were just commenting as we were getting set up for our uh, initial launch podcast that uh, it was only a week, a week and a half ago when when we were sitting in, in the Gronowski Innovation Incubator here in the Anderson College of Business and Computing talking about we should launch a podcast. And Edgar said, why not? And then our, uh, our tech and the brains behind the operation, Jim, uh, showed up a week later with uh, about $8 million worth of podcast equipment, and here we go. And here we are. And we welcome you to uh, join us. Uh, This first uh, podcast is being recorded and moving into the future and looking ahead. What we'll be doing is broadcasting live uh, every Monday morning at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. And you're welcome to join us and we'll be taking questions and we'll be able to interact with you live during our uh, during our conversations and and that's what we'd like to do. First and foremost, thank you for tuning in to the podcast. And secondly, is to welcome you and invite you to a conversation about uh, what, uh, what Ken would consider to be life itself. And that is the conversation of true alignment. Exploring and discovering uh, how to lead an aligned life, how to be in aligned, uh, in aligned relationships, um, how to be aligned as a leader, uh, as a as a member of our communities, our organizations, and uh, to discover the, the the various paths to alignment. Yeah, um, so fitting uh, that we're going to launch this during the week of Thanksgiving, where we kind of pause everything else to give a little gratitude and say what we're thankful for. Um, but your comment about true alignment is life. Um, I said earlier to Edgar that we should apologize in advance because once you have this framework, um, you're going to struggle to see anything but alignment possibility. Yeah, and I think you'll also at times find it rather challenging, um, just as life is in of itself so challenging in so many different contexts and situations that we find ourselves in. And so when we think about about alignment and true alignment, we think really about pursuing the truth, the truth about who we are, our relationship to ourselves and our others in the world around us. And the discovery that every time we have a misalignment, we have an opportunity. That every misalignment is in one shape, form, or another a conflict, a conflict that we find ourselves in. I should probably uh, share with you our definition that we'll be using here of conflict, which is just, it's simply the natural tension that exists between our current state and a desired future state. Where yeah. we currently are and where we want to be, what we're currently getting and having, and what it is that we want. And that natural tension is a source of all innovation in our lives as human beings. It is the source of all creativity that we have, that we're capable of as human beings. And so every misalignment will present itself in some shape, form, or another as a conflict, which is a signal that we have an opportunity to create alignment. And that's the, that truly is the power that we have as we make the choices we do in life. Uh, Edgar, as you talk about those constructs of conflict and misalignments and alignment, you know, I'm going to back you up a little bit, um, you know, here at Regis University with our Jesuit values um, undergirding the education we do. There's something uh, in the secret sauce here about um, listening in a certain way. Founder of the Jesuit, St. Ignatius, uh-huh. uh, you know, he came up with his spiritual exercises, um, 30 days in a cave trying to figure out what his life meant and where it was going. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's part of uh, what we do here. And I know it's given me a special way to pay attention, a special way to pay attention to um, things that come in and out of my life, uh, wondering what they mean. And uh, you and I, um, we got to meet, we should do, we should do some introductions here uh, about our history and, and then talk a little bit about how um, we got to meet and listen to one another the very first time 
to talk about the intersections um, that our paths were having um, and why we're working together now. So if I get to introduce Edgar, um, I always say he's a double Regis alum. He is a successful business consultant, uber successful business consultant. He is passionate about people. He's passionate about culture. He's one of the most positive people I know. And he's got this long and winding background <laughs> that um, I think just adds to the story. I, I'll come back to that. But uh, Edgar, fill in the rest of uh, who you are. Well, I think you've hit that pretty well on a nail head. My key interest in life is helping people align, helping the world create alignment, uh, which is, I think, is the greatest predictor of success in our lives, by however it is that you uh, define your success. And that can come in various in various forms, uh, socially, financially, spiritually. Um, so we can have a lot of different definitions. And I pretty much dedicate my work and my life's work to this idea of alignment as being the great predictor of success and the constant pursuit that we have. Uh, by way of background, I do have a degree in culinary arts from the Culinary Institute of America, and I was a chef. Prior to that, I worked as, a, as an insurance underwriter eventually working in high-risk insurance environments globally, and did that work. So I learned a lot about business. I learned a lot about the law and all those ingredients, uh, though I'm not, an, uh, I'm by no means a student of actual, uh, uh, what is it called, in the math that goes with it? Actuarial science. <laughs> Actuarial science. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, and then um, once upon a time, I, uh, when I was a chef, I came to the conclusion, uh, as I explored it, that I was out of alignment with who I really wanted to be. I wasn't spending enough time with my family, my wife and my children, and uh, not paying enough attention, uh, just too, too much into the definition of success in terms of being a chef, a restaurateur, business owner, and all those endeavors. And, uh, and that's how I actually wound up at Regis University. It was a, a life transition that exploration and curiosity of where I really am and who I want to be uh, eventually led me to, uh, to Boulder, Colorado, and, uh, and, I, and I came to Regis University to uh, study leadership psychology. And, um, and from there, the rest is uh, really uh, developing frameworks and thinking about alignment and how to apply to organizations and to, to individuals. And uh, just absolutely love my work. Um, and my priorities as they are now are my wife, my children, and my grandchildren. And, uh, and, I, and I, I live in alignment to that as best as I can. And I remember that the, the first time that we met, I was uh, doing a presentation for, I think it was the American Society for Strategy. Yeah, Association for Strategic Planning. Association for Strategic Planning had invited me to speak and um, did so at the Regis campus down, down the Denver Tech Center. And um, I remember you sitting in the back of the room, uh, very quietly, just observing and listening. And then afterwards, you came up and asked me if I wanted to go have a beer. You, you thought it'd be really worthwhile for you and I to have a conversation. And that evening, we uh, our relationship began to unfold. Uh, we got to get to know each other and uh, your work and your pursuits and your philosophies on life, which are really at the end of the day about alignment the Jesuit values and uh, through education. And by the way, I will uh, I need to share this with you. Of all the people that I've met through the years in education, I, I, I've come to the conclusion that you're one of the best inquirers and through the lens of inquiry, one of the best teachers I've ever met. Well, so thank you for, for being who you are. Well, right back at you. Thank you uh, for those wonderful words. You know, Edgar, a uh, friend of mine, uh, Dr. Sarah Beth Burke, is doing work here in Denver, um, just published a book on being a hybrid professional. And, and I'm, I'm enamored with this phraseology right now. And this is why I always invite you to kind of talk about uh, your, your, your background, because, you know, Sarah Beth would talk about this idea that uh, the chef never went away. 
the, the way we think about underwriting insurance never went away. It is now a lens that mixes in the work that you do. Yeah. And, and, you know, I have, uh, I think that's one thing we share. We have all of this, uh, you know, kind of winding background because I've been a scientist. Um, I've been an educator here for a long time. Uh, I'm a business professor. I've been an entrepreneur, started um, and exited my own businesses. And uh, this opportunity I have, uh, I think much like you have recognized opportunity, this was an opportunity I had to come to this business school and define, build an innovation center and really start from defining innovation. And, and while you talk about, um, you know, getting people and organizations into alignment, you know, that people part is a really important part of how we've defined innovation here in this business college. And very proud of that, that definition um, which I, is just very different than innovation at other places. You know, I think that we talk about every event, every, every program we put on is, is meant to drive three kinds of thinking. Um, you know, critical, creative, and systems thinking in that order. And I'm, and I'm proud that most higher ed education institutions try to end at critical thinking. And, and we would argue it's merely the beginning on the way to systems thinking, um, which is you can see how alignment will come in into that. Yeah, very much so. And then, you know, also the characteristics that are really kind of personal um, for the people that we do the work for um, in the world that we're trying to create that they'll live in is that uh, innovation really is about driving um, from a place of self-awareness, but then in through ingenuity, love, and heroism. And, you know, I think with all of those characteristics, I'm just very proud of, I think we might be the only the only business school on the planet that uses love in their definition of innovation. And then uh, all wrapped in a companionship model because you don't do this alone. You're never in the world alone. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, and I think uh, uh, your point about love being often overlooked, uh, when you think about what drives innovation, I mean, innovation really is something that we do uh, probably better than anything else as human beings. I mean, throughout our history, any time that we as, as humankind uh, have engaged in some kind of a challenge, we innovate. And so we, we become very creative. And in order to be creative, I, I think it's important to be able to understand what the origins of that creativity are. Um, when you think about what creativity is, it's, it's the expression of human emotion. It is. It's, it's art. I look at business as an art form. And it's the most advanced art form that we participate in as human beings. Um, we've been at it for thousands of years, and what we do is we critically think to solve problems uh, in creative ways. And that creativity is driven by our emotion. Uh, and beneath the surface of that emotion are our wants, our desires, our needs, for connectivity, to find paths to success, and for love. We do. And... And what's so, so powerful about that, and when you connect it to true alignment and you think about the work we do here at the university and, and in our consulting work, really what we're after is the discovery of the truth. And the way that love manifests itself at, at truly the deepest levels of intimacy, of vulnerability, authenticity, all the different um, ways that we, we define it at the end of the day um, it's really about being able to be open, to be honest about what I think, see, and feel without the risk of rejection, which, of course, as a psychologist, I'm quick to point out, goes all the way back to our childhoods. <laughs> <laughs> and the first time we lied to our mothers, and uh, we weren't able to reason at that, at that early tender age when we, when, we, when we first tried to protect ourselves by not being truthful. It reminds us how deeply emotional uh, innovation and creativity is. And, and how it is that, we, that we've come to, to use that. And we continue to explore and be curious on how to bring that innovation to life. Yeah, Edgar, may I jump in here? Yeah. You know, one of the conversations um, that we have, and, and really in the business world where we're talking about, um, you know, artificial intelligence and, and bots that can replace humans, you know, one of the things I've returned to over and over and over again is that, um, regardless of these new additions to our world, um, and you can use the word innovation there, I might caution us a little bit, um, new uh, additions to, to the business world. Business at its core is still human. 
It is. And, and, you know, everything that you're talking about, and I think that was the thing that was striking that, you know, we get to, we get down to um, the bar next to, next to our campus building and you're pulling out napkins and you're right. I mean, we are <laughs> napkin after napkin of, of drawings uh, of, of the true alignment framework. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the thing that is striking for me is I have yet to experience a framework in the business world that talked about business, uh, humans as core, let alone human emotions as core. Yeah. And we, we use that a lot, right? It's human-centered. Uh, the experience is all about, uh, and it, it's fascinating. It's, it has such incredible depth and breadth to it, doesn't it? Yes. Well, and I, you know, I built this Gronowski Innovation Incubator with the writable walls and, you know, the all-glass box, which, you know, a lot of people don't like because people can stare at you while, you're, while they're walking by. Um, but, you know, we built it with some intention and really – you know, I wanted to bring design thinking as, as a, as a problem-solving technique to business education here at Regis because I wanted three uh, what I call meta-principles that come from design thinking. And that first, first and foremost principle is this idea that you must listen first, mm-hmm. right? You must, you must listen to figure out someone else's experience. So it's kind of other-focused listening. Right. Um, you know, the other two meta principles go, they don't go fit right in here to this conversation, but I'll, I'll name them if we ever need to come back to them. And, and you know, one is the uh, ability to work with other people, that yes and mentality of ideation is this idea that mm-hmm. um, my responsibility in being a good listener to you is to add to your idea. And as you're always reminding me to use that word and. Um, <laughs> Keep your butt out of my face. That's right. <laughs> you know, I think that that is the... Uh, you know, that is one thing that I'm seeing in working with our students especially is, um, you know, there's a competitive nature. And as I've moved the, on, the Innovation Center into working in entrepreneurship, this is one thing that I battle daily is that, you know, entrepreneurship can be a community sport. Innovation can be about community and companionship. Um, and it doesn't have to come out of a, a root of competitiveness because we can all help we can all help one another. And that's just switching some gears. You know, that third meta principle really is the idea that um, failure belongs. Failure's okay. Yeah, and that's a and I find that so interesting with all the CEOs and, and leaders that I've that I've been able been privileged to work with for the, over the last thirty plus years and um, the conversations that we that that we have today. It uh, it does it does come back to that, which is the understanding of self and how to be able to manifest listening and manifest curiosity and to. We, I think we all talk a lot about being able to do that well and including the idea of failure. Um, how well do we really do it? In order to understand failure, I think you've just hit it on the nail head. We have to be able to listen extremely well. And to overcome our fears on what it is that we may hear, we spend a lot of time, especially in today's world, as we as we're moving through this uh, new era in our human existence, the the age of awareness, where we've gone through so many iterations of our societies and our place of places of being, and we've moved through knowledge and to uh, the uh, the industrial revolution and the technology and information era. And now we're coming, we're at the point where we're really starting to look at with true vulnerability and honesty to who we are as human beings and what to, how, how we use all this um, technology and capability that we have. And, it, and right at the forefront is how do, we, how do we behave in a very vulnerable way? And how do we do that, not just in speaking vulnerability, I, I find the conversation of being vulnerable to express what I think, see, and feel is one half of the equation. I think the weightier half, one that's even more difficult, is to listen with vulnerability, to really hear and understand someone else's experience. So when we talk about empathy, that's the tip of the iceberg. I think in order to listen well, we have to be able to internally explore. Uh, We call it fearless exploration. How do we really fearly explore, which has a lot to do with our work in true alignment, which is we need to be really engaged in fearlessly exploring 
what the misalignments are and the causes, what's at the root of those misalignments, and be able to hear that from one another. And that what makes it so powerful and the whole idea of curiosity that comes with it. And to understand how directly um, curiosity affects our capability for success in whatever endeavors in our lives and our relationships. Uh, that's just so, so powerful. I'm always reminded of, uh, I once read that uh, it was uh, the uh, night before Einstein received the Nobel Prize for Physics that uh, some journalists had cornered him at the reception the night before. And one of the journalists said, why you? You know, here's this you know, little man with frizzy hair and, you know, he's just odd and very, very unique. And he, in a way, uh, perhaps it was a, a form of adult bullying that was going on under the, <laughs> under the auspice of journalism. <laughs> but I asked him, you know, why you? Why, how do you figure out this sim- simple, powerful idea of e equals mc squared? And he just pondered it for a moment and then smiled at the journalist and said, oh, I guess I'm just curious. You know, the power of curiosity, and how we think about it. And I think at that level, uh, when if we really want to be uh, curious, we have to be fearless. And, uh, and so much of what's happening in today's world, in, in, including you know, what's, what's happening with the Great Resignation, is about fear. Well, and I think, you know, as we, as we, I mean, that's where we want to get to today. We want to talk a little bit about the, you know, true alignment and, and, and aspects of the great resignation. I, I think one thing that's in, important to, to recognize and, and why we're doing this podcast now is that I think, you know, there's so much out there right now for you personally, right? And I can think of you know, some of the, some of the places that I go, um, to listen to the Brene Browns of the world, um, you know, for things that I need and, and, and please hear me say that during this pandemic and, and, and all of these things, what's become acute for me is that I realize there's things that I need, um, personally, right. Um, I had the opportunity to work with a wonderful spiritual director for nine months of spiritual direction. Um, and, and, you know, it's fantastic, but I can't, I can't hold on to it long enough between the sessions. Uh, and so, you know, if, if I were going to say, why, why are we doing True Alignment Hour podcast now? I would say because um, doing just you is not enough, right? That, that fearless listening is you and, right? It's you and the connection with others. It's you, you know, when you do a business, it's not just the business, um, and this is the business conversation, you know, since 2019, and they changed that definition to say uh, the primary purpose of a business was um, not just shareholder return, but to consider the impact on all stakeholders. And, and you know, I think that's been a puzzle in the business community. And, and the way that you talk about the framework working from the emotions of the customers up through culture and leadership, um, you know, it is, it is connecting business with customer connecting business with outside of business. And, you know, I think we we're starting this podcast now because, you know, that and must be there. Yeah. And I think historically one of the experiences that people have working in organizations is the misalignment between their own experience and what the intended or what's being promised to the customer so that the customer experience uh, isn't aligned to the EX or employee experience. So the simple idea being that for for a business to be really great, the members of the business in of itself, when you think about the, your systems thinking lens of all the different shareholders and you, you think about employees, you think about members of an organization, that their experience of one another and the organization and its leadership, their experience needs to be in alignment with the experience of the customer so that the promises are actually in alignment that we're, what we're intending to deliver to the customer, we need to be able to deliver internally. And to all shareholders, whether it's vendors, uh, everyone that's associated with the business needs to get that sense of alignment uh, to the mission, to the purpose, to actually, at the end of the day, a way of being. Because that's really what we're talking about. And we talk about cultures. How do we individually and collectively attain success? What's our way of being, the how-tos? Of getting there. Yeah, it goes back to that future state, right? Um, it does. Yeah, and what does that look like? So, you know, in a nutshell, why do the podcast now? 
because alignment is always necessary. Um, and it's especially useful now in this current state that we're in. Yeah, I agree with you. I think you captured really well in our conversation uh, previously, which is just the idea that uh, why alignment? Because it's so needed now, and it's actually always needed. It's a, it's a forever, isn't it? Yeah, you know, we had started to brainstorm all kinds of topics, which, you know, each one could be a, a series of podcasts. <laughs> uh, but uh, Yeah, we can unpack this one forever, we'll, I think. We'll yeah. have to figure out how all these come into <laughs> our, our, future, our future broadcasts. But, um, you know, we, if, if we look off the, the list here, you know, we have words like self, relationship, and love, decision-making, culture, managing conflict, teamwork, customer relationships, and then UX, EX, and CX. Want to talk a little bit about EX, Edgar? Uh, the employee experience. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Well, w- we know that right now that's at the forefront of, of what's happening throughout uh, the business context globally. And it's been accelerated by the pandemic. I think it's always been, I think the what is now the great resignation has been coming at us for quite some time. I think right now, I think prior to it, if you look at it statistically, a lot of people are already looking at how do I align my life? Because that's the big question here, is how do I create alignment in my life? And so these questions, of course, percolate in terms of what kind of a work-life balance do I have? What kind of freedom and autonomy do I have to make the decisions that I need to make? Uh, what What does my future look like? And am I in alignment to that? in the work that I'm currently doing, in the organization that I'm currently in. And I think the pandemic has really kind of pushed the pedal to the metal on this one, that, that it, allowed, it, it created a certain space for people to begin to explore that. And again, when you take a look at what's happening and how people are responding, and, and all of a sudden you realize that, according to recent surveys, that 78% of tech workers, this was just on, on Bloomberg, that 78% of tech workers are, are, think, are thinking about where they're going to be a year from now. In other words, a job change, an organizational change in the next 12 months. That's over three quarters. That's over three out of every four people in, in tech and in, in high tech. And then you look at healthcare and you look at what's happening in education and teachers. And really, the bottom line here is that it all comes back to people beginning to become more and more aware and asking the question, am I aligned to who I am in the life that I want, my ideal? Yeah, I would add to that. You know, I know I'm not, um, I'm going to push a little bit. You know, I'm not fully convinced that they're all of a sudden asking. I know I was reading up on NPR that said, you know, part of these numbers might be a result of some pent-up yeah. desires. Yeah, and I think the pent-up desires, when you go back to human desire and emotion and what drives our behavior, well, we, all, we all want a sense of importance and significance and connectivity. So that, that's one. And, and this is also the modeling from Will Schutz's FIRO theory that's right at the core of, of the true alignment framework. So we begin with an understanding of what, what really motivates us and, and success. What is my definition to feel competent and have a sense of control and predictability that I will have success by my own definition in my life? And then last and not least, am I being open and honest? And at the end of the day, as we think about true alignment at a very personal level, it's am I being open and honest with myself about the life that I'm leading and what I'm, uh, what I'm doing and what I'm perhaps missing in my life? So am I missing time with the people that matter most to me? Am I, am I living love to the fullest in the time that I have with those that really matter in my life? And, and I agree with you. I think we've been on this path for quite some time. And now I think it's, it's, uh, it, there's an acceleration that's taken place. And rightfully so. I, th- I think it's, uh, I think it's uh, important that, um, that we have this period of time in which we, as a, as a business society, because again, I come back to the idea that globally uh, we've created a society in which every human being on the planet Earth in one shape, form, or another is a consumer of a product or service 24 hours a day. And so reflecting on what we've created as a society, now we're back to your systems thinking lens here. Um, 
where do I fit into that? What am, how am I a participant, a citizen of that society? And, and what is my role? And am I being true to myself in fulfilling that role? You know, in this uh, podcast, I always make a joke that uh, my movie tastes are terrible. <laughs> you've you, uh, you've actually uh, demonstrated that on several <laughs> occasions to me. So, so I don't need proof. I, I don't, you know, if, if, if you're of a certain age, and, and those in the crowd will know who you are, um, you know, with all the John Cameron films uh, coming out in my youth. So, you know, <laughs> I, I just have a, I had a flashback, as you were saying that last phrase, Edgar, to uh, a, a scene from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, one of my favorites. Where, where, where cameras, uh, Cameron's sitting in the museum and he's um, looking at the Impressionist painting of, uh, you know, the pointillism of, the, of Sunday in the Park with George, uh-huh. right? And, and kind of loses himself and he's asking, right? I mean, that's why he's comatose in the pool. It's not his father's car as much as it is, who am I in this world? Yeah, his relationship to his, to his father's car, which is his relationship to his dad, which is himself. Yeah, so, you know, I think as we talk about this, you mentioned that three-quarter of tech workers are are thinking about moving jobs. You know, I think some of these statistics from the Great Resignation, which, you know, we should we should give some credit. Everything that I read, um, you know, that phraseology comes from a Texas A&M psychologist. Um, and you know what? I should have his name, shouldn't I? Uh, we'll have to figure that one out. Jim, I don't think Jim, you should be like our Google version here and, you know, holding up the answers to this. But, um, you know, I know it comes from uh, a psychologist out <laughs> he's of gone, Texas. He's gone like this at us, like, yeah, well, I don't have a son, so you have to figure it out for yourself, right? Yeah, we'll figure it out. When Edgar starts talking again, I'll Google up this uh-huh. one, this answer. But, um, you know, he, he, he coined that phrase back in May, and, and, and really he, he – he, he was speaking that there might be a set of pandemic epiphanies as motivation, um, a set of different pressures that are coming to light. And, um, you know, those numbers, some of those statistics from, from the Great Resignation, 20 million people have resigned since April of 2020. Right, four point, oh, about 4.5 million just again in September. Yeah, which is th- almost 3% yeah. of the American workforce. And, you know, uh, what what do we say? Four point three in September and four four in July, four million. Yeah, and you know I it's was ramping up too. I want to know who <laughs> who was leaving, right? I mean, and this is the, um, you know, I think uh, what I was reading is that the thirty to forty five year olds, mm-hmm. um, mid mid career folks, are the folks that are leaving most. Right, younger people with new jobs are are hanging on, uh, perhaps for the financial um, components. Um, old, old, those older are hanging on because, um, well, maybe they're nearer to the end. Maybe they're, um, they're I, relying on that financial component as well. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people I talk to about it that, uh, that are well, you know, far into their careers that are really just saying it, quote, unquote, I'm just hanging on until I retire. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that. I've heard that myself. I think also it's important when we start slicing and dicing it, to recognize where this is happening. And so when you think about service industries, you see a lot of the stats really point to, this, uh, to the service industry. The service sector is actually 86% of the American workforce. And so when you think about what's happening there and, uh, and the, the rate at which people are actually uh, moving in the, in the service sector, and then, of course, you know, hospitality, one of the hardest hit where you see that... Um, how people are just dissatisfied with, if you just step back from it, the reality is that people are dissatisfied with their lives. And that, that conflict, that misalignment, uh, if, if, I don't, if I don't find a solution to that, if I don't take action, it's also interesting to note that a lot of people are leaving their jobs without knowing what the next job is. Yeah. That they're actually moving, they're creating an ending so they can go and explore what alignment of their lives looks like and what their next steps are and what their next decisions are and, and how that fits. I think, you know, that that's one of those really, really important pieces of conflict. I think employers, this is one thing that if you're a business owner and you realize that someone is leaving the job, the community, the pay in my organization without having a next act in mind. Yeah. Like, I think that's a really big puzzle. Yeah, it used to be that that sense of security of, of movement from one one job or, you know, one act to the next act 
there was a lot of preparation involved. There was uh, a tendency was to, to, to be patient and to wait. And as we know, patience is the ability to wait for fulfillment, uh, to wait for satisfaction, my need or my desire to be met. And impatience is the fear of not getting it or not getting it quickly enough. So now all of a sudden you see this, this really amazing, uh, I find it to be amazing shift that's occurred where that dependency, that patience and the dependency on having security uh, doesn't show up as strongly as, as, as it has for decades. And I think that in and of itself is, is very telling that there's a certain level of awareness in our society that's percolating up through. And uh, I think there used to be cracks, and now I think they're, they're just large openings where people are becoming more and more aware, and that awareness is leading to the kinds of decisions that they're making. So, you know, I know we talked about this kind of and between um, business and society, mm-hmm. um, self and business, um, internal to external kind of relationships. And you, and you mentioned these three phrases earlier of, um, you know, the alignment framework is really about, um, you know, seeking for success, control, and predictability. Uh-huh. And, yeah. this, and this kind of last line of thinking is this idea that control and predictability are moving back into self. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's in uh, it's it's one of our innate desires to want to be competent, to be successful. It's one of the main drivers of human behavior, and the way that that is demonstrated uh, through human behavior is by wanting control, by wanting predictability, to make decisions that can that I can demonstrate to myself and the people in my world from which all my feedback comes from, that I can be successful, that I can be competent, I can be good. And so, you know, the messaging of, well, you can't leave your job because you don't know where your next success is going to come from, or, um, you know, you're going to be a failure if you don't stay with it. I, I remember my, my father, um, when I made the announcement that I was leaving the culinary world, I, I was on a streak of being on television in the New York market and uh, getting all kinds of accolades for my, for my culinary work and, uh, and decided that it was the wrong path, uh, that I was so out of alignment that I needed to do something about it. And so I, I left that as a profession and, and went forward. And I went from, and I was, I was doing quite well at the time, as you can imagine, I went to less than 15% of my income from just one moment to the next. And I remember my, my father saying, you're crazy. Nobody does this. You know, the, you, you're supposed to have security, create security for, for your family. This is, this is yeah, you, you can't do this. And, uh, well, first of all, I <laughs> refuted the you can't because I already did at that moment. I already made that decision. The thing about it is is that I don't think that we're – so connected to that, um, a sense of security in that way. I think what we have been able to understand is that our capabilities and our options and the choices that we have are broader, that through curiosity we can understand what our next path to success is. And again, when I think about pursuing passion and understanding uh, who we are as an individual, who I am and who I was at the time, Pursuing alignment is actually the path. It's the path to success. It depends, of course, what you want to define success at. Do you want to be making a million dollars a year? Okay, well, that's that's one definition. I'm not going to argue that. It could also be just having a, a, a relationship to your children, where they they where the mutual respect and mutual love is is powerful. And it could be because in the at the end of the day. And this happens, and I've experienced this for over three decades now, in coaching relationships with clients, regardless of the walk of life, whether they're in business or in government leadership, whatever their role they're in, eventually my coaching conversations with them wind up being the one about how they're spending time and how they can spend the most time with those that they love most. That's it. At the end of the day, I mean, the perfect way of exiting the world is to be surrounded by our families. When we think of that conceptually, and we we have that imaginative capability to understand it, that's um, that's powerful. 
that's one of the most important aspects, I think, of, of personal alignment that we that we uh, need to learn how to manifest. Yeah. Um, let me go back and say I'm going to jump on that. Um, Anthony Klotz is the Texas A&M uh, psychologist oh, yes. yeah. uh-huh. um, that, that coined the great resignation phrase. So sorry. Sorry, Anthony. Um, but, you, you know, Edgar, that that kind of, it reminds me of the what you were just saying. It reminds me of the work I do with entrepreneurs. So, so really, you know, as we start some entrepreneurship programming and business competitions and, and do things different ways here in the Innovation Center at Regis University, um, you know, I have to hold hard and fast to a little bit of a path um, because the traditions of business make as much money. And even the students come with these traditional ideas of an entrepreneur that is, um, you know, willing to take any risk that comes their way in the name of driving a profit and getting business, right? I mean, we kind of have these um, hard-charging, uncompromising entrepreneurs in the back of our brain. And, and part of my job is to break this down. I mean, an entrepreneur is not just um, blind to risk. Um, they just choose risk. And, and you might argue that even, even those we popularized in, in, in our American culture, especially as, as the entrepreneurs, you know, we popularize them and what we fail to say is um, they found a thing that brings alignment to their lives that they believe in, that they make decisions around. And we, we do want to talk a little bit about the alignment framework as a decision framework. But, you know, I don't – we talked about those things we might get to eventually in, in future podcasts. But, you know, I want to bring us to this idea that I think you're talking about is this – self-belief and confidence people are leaving now the entrepreneurial space you know we're starting we saw a million more businesses started um this year than the year prior i mean it's astounding it is i I forget the number 4.4 million businesses started since um since the beginning of the pandemic um uh, you know just an unbelievable but this self-belief and confidence in what you're walking away from but uh, can, I, can I get you to speak a little bit to this idea of boundaries and how the true alignment framework kind of speaks to where you put boundaries and, what, and how you feel and think about boundaries? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, I, think, well, I think a lot of the, a lot of the boundaries that we live with are, of course, self, self-imposed. So I think that's, that's one piece of it. And... Uh, in a lot of ways, I think they inhibit us. So I think when we think about boundaries, um, I think there's there's ways to look at it to say that they're useful and very helpful to have certain boundaries in life and to be able to see when I'm out of alignment that I may need to, or a business is out of alignment with really what it wants to represent and stand for that uh, through our values and our beliefs, we can create some ideals and s- some really clear paths uh, to, to understanding those. At the same time, I, I think we have to be very, um, I think we really have to explore the boundaries to also understand when, much like risk, that they, they can inhibit us and, and get in our way. So to be able to, I think the term of itself, boundaries, allows us to understand our lanes, our paths, our ways of seeing life and how they help us or, or can hinder us. Um, as you asked me that question, what was on your mind? I'm curious now. Yeah, sorry, Jim, as I bumped into the microphone with my headphones somehow. I don't know how that happened. Um, you know, we were talking about... Yeah, um, by the way, I have to acknowledge I'm a, a novice when it comes to these. I wear buds. I don't... This is so foreign to me at this point in my life. I, I know. I feel like just, I have the Princess Leia haircut going on, just saying. Yeah, right, I, I, took my fir- I took my first <laughs> flight not too long ago, and I was I was truly impressed at how many people are still doing the Princess Leia. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> so you asked me about boundaries. We were talking a little bit about, um, you know, the difference in people's ability to walk away when they don't have the next thing planned here during the great resignation. Uh Um, And we were talking a little bit about the, um, you mentioned your dad kind of calling you out (laughs) on, on, on uh, what he thought was really giving up um, 
giving yeah, up a salary and trying to impose his boundary on my life and trying to impose his boundary. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you know, and I think that that's that in externality, internality, yeah. um, kind of components. I mean, there are places in our lives where it seems fully reasonable to make decisions based on, um, and we probably ought to step in and acknowledge, um, the privilege from which the both of us come from uh, enough that we could. And please, uh, if you're listening to this from the business side, no one here is asking you to go away for 15% of your salary. <laughs> Let's just make that clear. But, you know, I think where we make decisions and what we think the boundaries are on us, you know, the true alignment framework, um, you know, I love it for the challenge. And, you know, here, here's why I love science. Um, because we, we teach the scientific method as this linear approach. And, and someone asked me to draw a circle, uh, to draw uh, to draw it as a picture one time, and I, I think in pictures, so this was really helpful. But I remember grabbing two markers on the board. It was probably two pieces of chalk on the chalkboard at that time, honestly. Um, <laughs> but, you know, grabbing uh, two things to write with and, you know, drawing this and, you know, you, you form a hypothesis and you start to get information, and then you have the, you know, yeah. you, you have uh-huh. the, the scramble that yeah. goes back. I mean, and we, when, even when we read science, I mean, and this has been such an interesting thing about the pandemic is, you know, now all of a sudden people claim to understand science, but, you know, I don't want to get political here, but, you know, science is that messiness, right? What's the Peanuts character that goes with the cloud of dust over his head? Uh, it's uh, Pigpen. Pigpen, right? So yeah. science is Pigpen. Yeah. Right? Once you get the hypothesis and start to get information, it is all Pigpen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, that was the thing I loved about science because it gave us the ability to question beyond what we knew. And, you know, I always say to people, that's why there are so few scientific laws, because we don't know yet. Yeah. Right? I mean, they're theories for a long, long time yeah. because there might be a possibility they don't hold true in some circumstance. Um, you know, somebody always calls me about, but this is a law. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I said there are a few. But, you know, it's messy. And it, it is. And, and what mess does is it allows you to think and move the boundaries. And, and you need to know self on where you're comfortable. Here's where I, you know, always struggle in my professional life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my, I can move the boundaries kind of fluidly. I can ask a new question. Even if something's done, we've developed a process. I can say, is that the right process? Even after we've just spent months developing it. And lots of people you work with don't necessarily <laughs> like that version. No. <laughs> um, That's the fear of change, right? It, it is, right? I mean, and, and the idea that, you know, I think perhaps creating some of that value uh-huh. um, you know, and I know I have, uh, I've always described myself as I have this internal, I call it arrogance. Um, I would love to call it confidence. Confidence that we can question the work that we've done. You can choose to call it confidence. Without, without saying we didn't do good work before. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that that is, if you keep listening and you keep getting new information, that's why ingenuity is part of my innovation definition, right? Because ingenuity is about when you get new information, it requires new actions requires new hypotheses. Yeah. And that and I think that's important too. Yeah, we mentioned artificial intelligence before. I'm I'm in a school of thought that artificial intelligence is is really when you step back away from it, it it's technology. Now what do we do with it matters so much. And so in a recent conversation the thought uh, came to mind that um, well we have artificial intelligence, which is kind of interesting because when you look at how we use information, uh, that you have data, we organize that data to create information and then we use it and apply it uh, and then it becomes knowledge. And what's beyond knowledge is wisdom. And Socrates uh, probably gave one of the best definitions I've ever come across of wisdom is uh, understanding what we don't know. So when I think about artificial intelligence, what's, what's beyond that is uh, we get real wisdom. We use that, that ability to use technology for the purpose of analyzing and understanding data in the world around us in a way where we continuously seek wisdom. And I think that's, uh, and I think if I may build on this idea of ingenuity, that really what we're doing is we're seeking wisdom. We're asking, what do we not know? Uh, where, where, where are the, good, the great answers? Well, where the great answers are at the end of a great question. So we need to be able to ask those great questions and, and do those kinds of inquiries. And I, and I find that, now I'm going to come back to alignment around this, 
I think that that becomes the key question is, are we in alignment? Let's get curious here. Are we really in alignment to, to what it is that we're, that we're striving to create and uh, we want to be individually and collectively? So I, I think that that whole idea of how uh, you know, creativity, ingenuity, uh, innovation occurs, uh, it's all seeking and, and, and using that tension between where I am and where we are and where we want to be or where I want to be. That's, uh, I think it's a really powerful lens. So, you know, thanks for that. Yeah, I, I love our conversation so much, Edgar, because they are always, you know, they, they meander they meander in ways that make it uh, comfortable to move some of the boundaries of thought. You know, and I, as you talk about AI and, and the buildup of wisdom, you know, it just makes me, it makes me wonder if, you know, there is some fear around <laughs> what do we do once we have enough knowledge to be wise? Yeah, yeah, and uh, I think that's where we have to come to the, I think there's a simple truth in that, is that um, just like life uh, in itself, I don't think wisdom can ever be something that you can claim to have. I think it is a, an ongoing journey. Yeah, it's an ongoing journey. At, at times, and at times, it's a struggle because we do have to be honest. We do have to come to the truth. Uh, wisdom is really when I and I think about leadership a lot like in this uh, in workshops, uh, and we have this conversation in the uh, Learning to Lead program here um, in the exec ed, uh, there's, um, there's this you know, ongoing, there's this ongoing questioning about, you know, wh what is wisdom and how do we attain it and what does alignment look like? And at the end of the day, uh, one of the definitions of leadership that we banter about is the idea that at the end of the day, leadership is the pursuit of the truth. That ultimately, leadership is the pursuit of truth. And, um, and that's powerful. And we know, we know that most leaders avoid conflict. We know most leaders avoid stepping into misalignments uh, because they're afraid or they have boundaries that they want to hang on to and they're afraid of, of dropping and being, being vulnerable to what they may hear. Um, and that pursuit of the truth at the end of the day is, uh, that's the pursuit of wisdom. And ultimately, when we innovate, when we design solutions, to some of the most difficult problems that we face, it'll require us to be able to use data and, and everything that it, that we have at, to our at our disposal, knowledge at our disposal, to just keep keep pushing those boundaries out there and, and saying let let's pursue the truth. You know, uh, Edgar, as you're as you're saying that, I know um, one of the similarities between uh, my work as a as a professor for the last twenty plus years and. And, and the consulting I now do with you and you as a consultant, you know, I've, I've reached out and asked you, you know, it is, there's similarities in it, in the sense of, you know, we bring out the true alignment framework and, you know, it's just that. It, it, it's a framework. Um, you can find self, you can find love, you can use it to make decisions. Um, there's still this component of, of, you know, people that say, I get it. I understand it. Here's how it would work. You cheer them on, say yes, yes, yes. And, and then they don't. It just doesn't. And, and you know, I think, uh, you know, I've watched you and, and Edgar, um, if you've ever had the, the honor to have Edgar in a, as a consultant, um, there is just such a, such a wonderful curiosity uh, of Edgar Papke, the human being, that um, you know, you can tell he genuinely just loves being in this in this space to work with other people. Um, you know, I know there's spots where I feel like I have that as a teacher, um, and then I remember one of the boundaries. I have to always say, whoever does the work does the learning, and so you give a little, and then you have to see who's comfortable taking what, and then you have to adjust, and then you have to see who else is comfortable taking what, and how far they're going to take it on their own. And you know, I I consider myself a fairly um, reactive teacher. I think that's the part I love the most. Um, you know, you know, you know, you have the confidence to know the frameworks you're working from and the foundations that you're working from. Oh, you know, proactive proactivity is a bit of a fallacy because the sun <laughs> doesn't rise, the earth turns. <laughs> right. Don't take this personal as a bunch of BS. And there's another one. Uh, I I can't predict. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm basing all my proactivity is actually reaction to what I've already experienced and know. It's kind of an interesting idea, this whole idea of proactivity. Yeah. I see it like so. a rubber band as we're working with <laughs> yeah. other people, right? Is that you, you give people um, the elastic energy. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then it's up to them how much they use of it before they come back and say, wait a minute, my boundaries, my comfort, my curiosity gets yeah. challenged at that point. Yeah, that's one of the things I loved about, uh, I still love about Peter Senge's work around systems thinking is just that idea of take the band, take that rubber band and stretch it in its detention, um, which then reminds us that you know, every misalignment creates that tension, right? And, and so, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I find that power. And by the way, I thank you for your kind words. Um, and, uh, and back at you because I've seen you as well, uh, and you're just an incredibly talented teacher. And I think your, uh, I think your reactiveness. Um, I think you may want, want to. My way of, of seeing you, my lens of seeing you is your, uh, whatever you're, being reactive. It, it is uh, curiosity. Um, I think you present curiosity, and you're able to hold up a mirror to your students and and the. And the people that you consult and coach in, in a remarkably powerful way. So one of the reasons I think we, we have developed a friendship and relationship that we have when we're sitting here together. Yeah. Well, thank you, Edgar. I feel like we just got one of those, uh, that Saturday Night Live skit at Christmas time, <laughs> and I won't say the words next, but uh, yes. You know, I think that uh, quiet NPR uh, we we love on one another as yes. part of our podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that might be a good idea, and we'll we'll love everybody, and we'll love on everyone that joins us too, uh, because in in our future uh, podcast we'll we'll be live and we'll be able to interact with with who's ever uh, tuning in, and of course uh, the podcast will be the True Lyman Hour is going to be available to to people in archives on YouTube and. Uh, some other sources, so um, I'm getting a little bit of a smile and a and a and uh, I don't know what the folded hands means, other than I think he's getting nervous about the time. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so a couple of things that uh, we'd like to just share with you. Um, one is that um, the True Alignment Hour is going to be coming to you weekly. It'll be a live podcast, as I as I mentioned. Uh, Ken and I will be the primary hosts, and we'll have guests. And uh, from, from industry, from academia, we'll have, uh, I think a good way to say it is people from all walks of life and uh, from different places around the globe as well. And uh, we'll bring you some business leaders. We'll bring you some great thinkers, uh, economists. We'll, we'll bring you uh, psychologists. Uh, we'll bring you some what I think are just exemplary life coaches that I've, that I've met through the years. And... Um, so we'll bring a, we'll bring uh, people different backgrounds to bring greater value to you through the podcast, as we'll all be learning together. Uh, the other thing is uh, that yeah, we're coming live from uh, we'll be coming live from the Innovation Center at, at the Anderson College of Business and Computing at Regis University, and uh, I do think that uh, one one of the aspects of what we do here at the university, in particular at Anderson is that our, our way of looking at business and looking at, at leadership is through this, this human-centered lens and the lenses of alignment. And that we're able to teach and uh, share that with the world in the way that we do. It's certainly, I consider it an honor and a privilege to be able to do it, and I think we bring great value. So I encourage you to look at our offerings, um, including... Um, the cohorts we're building for the next Learning to Lead program coming up next January. Uh, we'll, we'll be doing it once a year for nine months. Um, I'm, the, I'm the main facilitator or, or quote-unquote teacher, and uh, um, Ken is, is, uh, is joining us as well as, again, we'll bring in uh, some folks from the business community to help us out and, and do the mentoring. And one of the things that does make it unique is that every member of the cohort also uh, get some one-on-one coaching, which is just, um, when you think about application and how do you keep doing things, having that, I think, is, is one of the really true great values of the program yeah. and everything we do here. Agreed. Uh, Edgar, you can find uh, information on our executive education programs with Edgar um, at regis.edu slash innovation. Thank you. Thank you for that. You have to All be right. reminded of the promotional components. I want to give a last uh, last thought on the Great Resignation. Um, 
the role of alignment? Um, I think it is all about alignment, period. I think the great resignation is the awareness um, uh, that we're all coming to as a society of the importance of alignment, alignment in our lives. And um, I think that's what we're seeing. I, I just don't know if anyone is recognizing that. I think that's what we're seeing. So as you're listening to this this week during Thanksgiving and, and sharing your personal gratitude and gratitude with those you love and are with, um, we're going to continue to some of that gratitude and uh, some of that alignment so we can stretch it out beyond that that Thursday and late in November. You can find all the show notes at truealignment.com under episode one. Thank you. Thanks, thank you very much. Thank you for, uh, for listening, for tuning in. Uh, Jim, thank you for everything that you do. And uh, see you next time around on the True Alignment Hour. Thank you.